You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Welcome to the Chris Spangle Show. My name is Chris Spangle. Thank you so much for joining us here today. And we are going to be talking about the Alec Baldwin situation. Uh, have a uh, an acquaintance who is a longtime libertarian friend of mine that uh, I met a decade ago. He reminded me before we started talking. Um, and he works in the movie industry. So we're going to get his opinion on what happened with the Alec Baldwin situation. But just in case you're living under a rock, let's read from the New York Times and their coverage of the affidavit that was filed by the Santa Fe uh, County there in New Mexico that kind of gives some details as to what happened. Um, Alec Baldwin was rehearsing a scene in a movie called Rust down in New Mexico at the Bonanza Ranch. And he pointed a revolver towards the camera lens when the gun, which the crew had been told did not contain live rounds, suddenly went off and killed the cinematographer, according to the film's director, who was quoted in an affidavit. So he had been pointing the gun at the cinematographer, Helena Hutchins, who was tragically killed in that incident. But it didn't answer the gun. How was the gun loaded? Why was the gun loaded? We're going to ask some of those questions to our expert today. Uh, but the director who was wounded in the shooting told investigators that he believed that the gun was safe and that it had been described as a cold gun in firearm safety announcements. And the f- guns on the film set were typically checked, checked by the film's armorer, uh, Hannah Gutierrez-Reed, who is uh, 24 years old, son of a, uh, the stuntman that trained Brad Pitt in all of his stunts, but she's fairly new at this. And in Deadline Today... The gaffer or chief electrician of the movie set, Sergei Svetnoy, said that basically she was hired to save costs, and this was all the result of negligence and unprofessionalism. So, um, the uh, on the film sets, the order of who handles the weapons, the New York Times continues, typically involves a precise sequence, several armorers in the industry. But the actors have been handed guns on the set by both Mr. Halls and Mrs. Gutierrez-Reed, according to a producer of Rust who was asked not to be named because of an ongoing investigation. Now, uh, they were sitting in a church uh, preparing for a scene. There was a lunch break. The crew was taken by shuttle elsewhere for the food. And when they returned, he was not sure if the firearm was checked again after lunch. So when these uh, all these details have emerged uh, and have added to, I don't know that this is adding to the mystery, I guess my big question is why live rounds are on a set at all. And obviously the question of, you know, is should there be criminal charges? Should there, you know, is this an, just an, a tragic accident? We're going to discuss some of these questions with our friend Chris Ratledge. Thank you so much for joining me, Chris. Tell us a little bit about what you do now, where where you work in the film industry, and some of your experience. Um, thanks for having me, Chris. Um, I am, let's see, I've been, I first started doing this in 1999, so I've been doing it for a little over 20 years now. Um, I work in the camera department, so underneath the cinematographer. Um, in the beginning of my career, I worked as a camera assistant. I was actually the person who would do all the lens changes and clap the slate. Back then it was loading film. Now it's all digital for the most part. Um, and then in the last 10 years, I've been working as what's called a digital imaging technician. So I do a uh, live onset color correction and metadata collection for um, all of the look involved with the cinematography. Um, 
the, your your article, you mentioned that the gaffer works closely with the DP and or the cinematographer and the key grip to shape the lighting and color the lighting. And then I'll make adjustments to make sure everything matches scene to scene and, you know, angle to angle and things like that. And uh, like I said, that, that I've been doing for about 10 years now. And I, I currently reside uh, in the Atlanta area. Um, used to be up in the Midwest working on mostly commercials, then started working on a lot of low budget movies, similar to what this sounds like, honestly. Um, in Ohio, that's where I started doing a lot more long, what we call long form uh, stuff. And typically down here in Atlanta, I've been working mostly on episodic television. Mm. I've done a couple movies here, but mostly it's been, um, you know, hour long and half hour long television programs. Now, have you had an experience where there's been weapons used on a set? You know, have you been in this a similar situation as this before? I haven't done a Western, which I've, I'd love to do, actually, honestly. Um, but, uh, yeah, I actually did a movie last fall. It, was the, it wasn't the first. It was the second thing I did back from our big COVID shutdown when nobody was working in our industry. <laughs> and um, that show was tons of guns. It was a siege on a police station. And we had not only guns, but we had explosions and all kinds of stuff. And it was all indoors. Um, and we had, you know, some high level armor and specialized prop um, department people that were uh, trained. And all this stuff was, there's an, an enormous amount of stuff that goes on to prepare all this stuff to make it um, as safe as it can be. And we use, I don't even, I'm not an armor. This is not my department. You know, I work with camera and I'm not as close to the action as the camera operators are going to be, the director is going to be and the DP, which is what sounds like happened based on the reports from what happened down on this movie. Yeah. Uh, it sounds like a Hill, this assist, assist associate producer, excuse me, was taking it off of the gun cart announced that it was a cold gun meaning there were yep. no live rounds in the gun and handed it to Alec Baldwin. So, you know, he's operating under the assumption that there's no live rounds. I guess yeah. wh- why would real bullets be brought to a movie set? I, that's, that's sort of my first that question. That's something that I can't fathom unless it's unless they're um real bullets in our security personnel, like if we have police with us or if we're in a dangerous location that requires um, you know, armed personnel to be around, that should be the only armed weapons anywhere near a production. I am at a loss for how that happens. According to what I've been reading, this weapon was a, a vintage, you know, um, Colt revolver that was, you know, uh, time period accurate for the period nature of the film and was apparently used for target practice by some of the crew. I don't know if it was the armorer or some other crew, but this is, you know, this is what I'm reading online. So they were having that, fun with the gun and they were shooting live rounds and that that's that couldn't necessarily be it, it couldn't necessarily be there in fun, but they were also just, you know, checking operation and things like that. Okay. Because if it won't fire a live round, then it then it would be even less likely to fire blanks. And and what is a blank? I, I've no, I've always heard about blanks, but I don't know what it, it does it just not have like a, a bullet? It has, Theoretically, it has no like hard projectile. Okay. I mean, and I am not a firearms ex- expert. I am not a you know armorer. But um, many of the times when I've been on set and we use guns, they talk about full loads, half loads, quarter loads, and these are all um, basically determining how loud 
and how big the muzzle flash will be from these things that are actually not shooting out a hard projectile, either a lead projectile or a copper projectile or something like that. But they may still have some kind of wadding material in them, like plastic or uh, some other things. And the blanks are basically, if you think of a, a regular cartridge, what it looks like, a, whether it's a rifle or a pistol, um, you have the bullet down at the tip and you have the brass that's underneath. They're just crimped at the end and they just kind of look like they're, you know, been smashed in a, uh, you know, in a vice or something mm. like that on, on four sides and they're crimped down. So they're kind of open on the end and they will, you know, that's why you get the muzzle flash because that stuff ignites as it flies out of the, out of the end of the gun. Okay. All right. So it, it, I, I posted, I mean, I guess I'm not surprised. Um, I have to stop being surprised no. uh, when I open no, up this Facebook. Stuff but way too often. Uh, yeah, I mean, I saw in Deadline that this is, you know, this particular position is one of the deadliest positions. You know, cinematographer is one of the deadliest positions. There's been actually a lot of people killed uh, in that position on movie sets because you are in the middle of the action there with the camera next to the director yeah. in the middle of stunts. Um, you know, famously, you know, Brandon Lee, the son of Bruce Lee, died in a very similar fashion on set when a live round was put into a gun as opposed to a blank. Uh, yep. Lots and lots of stunt people have passed away. Um, th- this gets a lot of headlines, but uh, how commonplace is it for people to get injured on movie sets or or for there to be fatalities? I mean, I would say fatalities are pretty low, quite honestly. Um, safety is a very big concern for us. Um, there, obviously, right now there's this huge backdrop about this um, labor strike in the mm. film industry, and it's mainly due to the safety concerns of being overworked. I mean, my, I actually just got laid off because I'm unvaccinated, and that's not going to fly with the hardcore left on um, that run the film studios and stuff right. like that. So I've been let go, and I'm pursuing my other options and seeing what I'm going to do about that. Uh, including may consider vaccination because I have a family to provide for. Sure. But regardless of that situation, um, there's, I mean, the first two days on the TV series that I just got let go, I slept in my car on my drive home Mm. because you are so exhausted from the hours that we put in. And if you look at, okay, the biggest risk that we have a lot of times is um, nodding off behind the wheel on our drives to or from work. Um, and hurting ourselves or causing another accident that would, you know, cause more damage and more, uh, more people to get hurt as well. That's probably the most common thing, but, um, you know, when you have a lot of stunts, there's obviously like trips and falls and things like that. Ladders, we use ladders a ton, um, in this industry. So there's a lot of falls that happen. So, you know, you have, I would say a pretty routine amount of sprains and and broken bones and things like that, that can happen. I wouldn't be able to give you any kind of numbers or anything like that, but um, yeah, I mean, yeah, you you know, I've been surprised, you know, as, as my friend, Miss Pat made a TV show, you know, call Mm -hmm. time is at four 30 in the morning, five 30 in the morning. You're working sometimes till 11 at night. Uh, You know, people and people go, well, boo hoo, these people make millions of dollars, but people like yourself don't make millions of dollars. The dozens of people that were working on that show don't make that kind of money. They're making, you know, a regular middle America salary to work. Yeah. Well, actually, and you don't don't see your kids, right? Right. That show, um, from what I understand, was a tier what we call a tier one low budget. 
And I don't know how into the weeds I may get for talking about this stuff, but there's a categorical limit on like, if your budget is between this number and this number, it's this tier. And that allows certain concessions that the labor unions have agreed to on salaries and, and times that you can work and things like that. Um, in, you know, really gets far into the weeds on the details, but the people that are working on that show could have been making as little as 40 cents on the dollar mm. for their typical wage. So, so that's, you, you, that as a, comes. you, as a union member, you, as a person who does what you do can look at jobs based on these different tiers and say, all right, I need to work. So I'm going to go with this tier, or I'm at a level where I can work at the higher tier and I'm going to get more concessions in terms of lower times, better pay, you know, whatever it's, it's other benefits. It's more, it's more honestly, like a lot of times uh, right now, the business in general is just bonkers. There's a ton of content being made, mm-hmm. but there's a ton of content being made at all budget levels. Right. So it also just depends on what you're available to do, what you want to do. Sometimes people like to go do these smaller uh, budgeted films because it's different than just, you know, the regular, like the episodic TV thing that I've been doing here for years has, it's very formulaic, you know, like you were mentioning, you know, Miss Pat, like this show that I just got let go every, every Monday, we're starting at 7am. We work at least a 13 hour day. Then you have your commute. And then, you know, the next day, the call time's a little bit later and it's a little bit later. And then by Friday, it's like five or 6pm and you're working all night into what we call a Friday. And that just amplifies all of this stuff. So like, you know, now you're like working nights and then Monday morning you're working days again. So you have, you sleep till three or four o'clock in the afternoon on Saturday and then go to bed early on Sunday night to try to turn your body clock around. And it's just, there's been tons of studies about how, you know, inconsistent and not enough sleep and rest is really detrimental to your health and it can cause all kinds of other problems too. Now, I don't believe that this particular show, cause it was a really short schedule was facing those problems. It was basically just sounding like it was just negligence and penny pinching. You mean rust? You know? Yeah. Um, not, yes. not miss Pat show. Every, everybody's treated very well on that set. Um, no, the, the, yeah, the rust movie actually, I, I read that a few people had walked off hours or days before yeah. kind of because of those concerns, because it was lower budget. So they were trying to cram in as much as possible Yep. And they were worried about some of these safety concerns that you're mentioning and some of these hours. And, yep. you know, we're saying, hey, we're cutting corners that we shouldn't be cutting corners. And this is what everybody's striking about. And they walked off the set and mm-hmm. then tragedy strikes. Um, and, and there's been a lot of discussion in, in police circles around kind of what you just said, because yeah. po- police officers will work these shifts where uh, I remember 10 20 years ago 20 geez 20 years yeah. ago when i was in high school and i wanted to become a cop the thing that made me not want to become a police officer in the ride along with that police officer officer brian he said yeah you you do these there's three shifts and they work backwards so you work the six in the morning to three in the afternoon shift and then they move you dial you back to the 12 to six shift and then they dial you back to the three to 12 shift and he he's like so you 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 know, if we just did it the other way, it'd probably be a little bit easier because you'd kind of stair step, but you're just shocking your body with some of the sleep and police yeah. officers are making mistakes that they wouldn't normally make. Um, yeah. So so do you and think it, that this this incident and and some of these concerns will kind of accelerate? Because 
I mean, you tell me. Uh, I, I, every union has their complaints, and and right, right, you know, everything you just mentioned is perfectly justifiable. But like, yeah. what's management's pushback on this? What is the pushback from the industry saying? Well, we've got to do it this way because. I mean, that's one of the things I'm so insulated because I'm a, a rank and file member, right? Like, I don't, I'm not ever in a position where I'm talking to the executives at these studios or the people that finance these independent films like Rust. Um, So I don't know exactly what it is. I mean, I literally think it is like um, a lot of times it is you go overseas and you sell a movie based on a poster mock-up and the name (laughs) attached to it, Alec Baldwin as, you know, the grizzled old grandpa cowboy character it's like, oh, yeah, we can sell that, in, especially in foreign markets and stuff. And they'll get money to make the movie. And then they'll say, okay, we have this much money to make the movie. What do we have to do to do what's in the script in, to meet this number? I think the and rest was like 30, 36 days or something to make the movie or something. Oh, I don't think it was that much. I'd be shocked if it was that much, okay. honestly. Like, I mean, that's not what I read, but that could be. It could be. That's that's kind of um, not inhumane if it's a shortish shortish movie. If it's like a two and a half hour run long runtime movie. Then well, how long know, would that normally take to shoot? I mean, if you did it the right way, you could do a, a ninety minute movie in thirty six days. Um, thirty six days is a weird number. I'd push for at least forty. Mm-hmm. Um, but we basically break it down into, you know, the old rule of thumb is that um, a page of a script is theoretically about a minute of runtime on screen. Okay. So if you have a 90 page script, you have a 90 minute movie. Um, And then you have to divide that and we count how much we do in a day on page count basically. So today we'll have, and it's divided into eighths. So we have, you know, today we'll do four and eighths of a page, but a lot of these things, I mean, I'm basically this TV show that I was doing, um, you know, we're doing seven, seven pages, eight pages a day sometimes, which is like, shooting an hour long movie in 12 days, which is a breakneck pace. It's kind of insane. And we often don't make our days and they have to add more at the end kind of a thing. But if you're talking about rust and I've done a ton of these low budget um, theatrical release movies where, I mean, I did one where we shot it in 18 days. We basically just shot six days in a row. We did six day weeks. And then we had basically like 30 hours off for our weekend and then turned around and did it all again for three weeks straight. And that was the whole movie. So it can be done that way. And the fact that it can be done that way means that that's like, well, we did it this way last time. So why should we bother putting any more resources or time or examining it? Let's just apply the formula and see what we get. And there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of broken people along that path when you undertake that. And it really destroys you. And if you're doing rust, like, so that's what 36 days. So that's at least a seven week, eight week schedule. Theoretically, you could do that without really destroying yourself, but it also depends on like, as a, the crew member, what are you coming from and what are you going to do next? Like, did you just come off a six months job where you worked 70 hours a week for six months and your, your head is spinning because you don't know what planet you're on. <laughs> right. So, um, and then you, you add into things like, I mean, a, I remember feeling like I didn't get a fair shake when I was in my early twenties starting this stuff, but um, you know, an armorer is a lot different than 
uh, a second AC. Like I have to clap the slate and load the film. I don't have to make sure someone doesn't die because the wrong bullet in the gun. So there's, there's something to be said for ageism and discrimination along those lines. But even if you come from a family that does that, which apparently she, she does or stunts or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, Like it's hard to not immediately go. Why was someone so young put in charge of this very, very dangerous position to, you know, um, uh, it must have been just a cut cost. Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll tell you what uh, Sergey Svetnoy, that that gaffer in yeah, Deadline, yeah. said. He, you know, he wrote on Facebook to save a dime. Sometimes you hire people who are not fully qualified for the complicated and dangerous job, and you risk lives of other people who are close and your lives as well. I understand that you always fight for the budget. You cannot allow this to happen. It is true professionals that can cost a little more and sometimes be a little bit more demanding, but it's worth it. No penny is worth the life of a person. You know, he was standing there next to Joel Souza. Um, you know, he, he goes on to say, um, I'm sure that we had the professionals in every department, but one, the department that was responsible for the weapons. There's no way a 24-year-old woman can be a professional with armory. There's no way that her more or less the same age friend from school, neighborhood, Instagram, or God knows where can be a professional in this field. Professionals are the people who have spent years on sets, people who know this job A to Z. These are the people who have the safety on the set level of reflexes. They do not need to be told to put the sandbag on a tripod, fix the ladder on the stage, or fence off the explosion site. They have it in their blood. Um, to save a dime, sometimes you hire people who are not fully qualified for the complicated and dangerous job, and you risk the lives of other people who are close and your lives as well. So, um, yeah, just like he said, I mean, that's that's the uh, uh, we here on the Chris Spangle Show are not anti-expert because that that reflexiveness. You know, if you want to know anything about podcasting, I know all about it. I've done it for fifteen years. You know, I've worked in radio for twenty. You know, you you build. In 20 years of doing something, a certain reflexiveness that just is instinctual, and it, it, it almost becomes hard, you know, to teach other people that kind of stuff. And that's sort of the weird thing about our society today is that you know we just sort of think, oh, well, anybody could be an armor. No, you, well, really, I don't know. <laughs> you know, you can, know but it takes some apprenticeship. I would actually push back against. I would actually push back against that a little bit. Like you could be a pro at 24. You mm-hmm. absolutely could, because some people start in this business in their teens. Right. You know. And it's, you know, whether they're in front of the camera, especially if they're in front of the camera, if they came from an acting uh, background um, and they just have been around it forever. And if actually, I don't know if you know this and I can't remember his name, but do you remember uh, the adventures of Pete and Pete from Nickelodeon years (laughs) ago? The ginger kid and yeah. Older Pete is actually an an electrician now. He works on set in the lighting department. So um, there's now older Pete is probably 40 or or older. (laughs) But it's not he's not 24. But, you know, I've seen competition shooters who are teenagers. And by the time they're 24, they could certainly have wherewithal and, you know, come up to speed on the set etiquette level. But this obviously this is we're talking about this because this happened. And this is where, you know, the fingers are going to start pointing. And you're like, from everything we're we're hearing, I I believe I even read somewhere that she was a replacement Mm. or she was hired. Um from the get go as a, you know, a cheaper option. Um, and the cheaper option thing isn't, it's so, this business is so terrible. I don't know how it is in radio. Um, but this business is so terrible about prioritizing savings 
And <laughs> that's why we so, don't have an industry anymore. <laughs> being so ridiculous about tripping over dollars to pick yeah. up pennies. Yeah. And that's, and when you're talking about things like Helena Hutchins being shot or Sarah Jones being ripped to shreds by a train that they shouldn't have been on train track. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this kind of stuff is just ridiculous, especially so people can just watch movies when they're at home. Right. You know, it's, it's, it doesn't it, have it's to be life or death. Yeah. It's, it's somewhat, no. you know, yeah. So, okay. So you commented on a status that I made because everybody just rushed to put Alec Baldwin in jail for this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so now we'll play the blame game here as we sort of start to wrap up a little bit. Um, yeah. I, I am a longtime libertarian as, as are you. Uh, mm-hmm. And one of the things that we have always really tried to advocate for is that you know, due process, we don't need a law for everything. We don't need a government fix or criminal charges to fix everything. Um, you know, Alec Baldwin, yes, he should have probably checked the gun, but he's been told by three people in that chain of possession that there's no live ammunition, ammunition in here. But everybody, because he's made anti-gun statements in the past and they're on the opposite political side, want to lock him up. So I found that to kind of be anti-libertarian in a lot of ways. Um, But does he bear any responsibility from an industry standpoint, like having experience on these sets? You know, you see a lot of people in the comments going, well, if me and my husband were at the shooting range and we didn't check our weapon, we'd go to jail. Why doesn't Alec Baldwin go to jail? Is it any different? Is there a difference here? I don't know if there's any kind of criminal code kind of, you know, um, standpoint from where it would be different, but I will say that the um, the atmosphere on set is different than it used to be. Um, it used to be that you were completely silent, you shut up, and you took all of what anybody gave you um, in a in a very kind of military or college hazing kind of way. You know, you just put up with whatever was the thing because. If you didn't do it, then you were seen as weak and you couldn't hack it. And they'd remember who you were to never hire you again. That, that's how radio was, too. I mean, that's how I came up. Like you were you were the stooge. You were the you were the goat that yeah, was made you weren't fun gonna of. Even, they weren't even going to bother to learn your name. right? Because if you didn't survive that, you weren't going to make it in the business because it's a tough doggy dog business. And those days are gone. You can't we don't even hire interns. But if you did, you couldn't make fun of them. You had to be nice to them, which is not fair. Because I was right. treated poorly. <laughs> yes, it's yeah. not fair, but it's also encouraging that it's moving in a direction that's a little bit more humane. Right. And to that point, the reports of, of several members of the camera crew walking on whatever it was that, that day or the day before with their equipment from that show, that was unheard of. Hmm. Like, I've never heard of that until the last, basically until about now, hmm. of saying, hey, um, this is grotesquely unsafe in a you know, overarching methodical way like this, the whole way that you guys are doing everything on this show, we object to, and we're going to walk away from. Um, and that not being a career suicide um, yeah. is a whole new thing. Now, um, cause in radio, as- if in radio, if you got up in the middle, you got pissed in the middle of a radio segment and you got up and walked out on that broadcast, you weren't coming back because yeah, you had exactly. violated a professional code and yes. a norm that was so sacred in the industry that you you don't you don't come back from that. You're not you're not a professional. There um, seems to be a, a similar kind of awakening happening um, 
here. I don't know if it'll stay. I don't know if it'll change into something else. Um, but the, the whole thing with Alec Baldwin, like I, I totally get, you know, unfortunately, you know, he, he kind of set himself up for that with his past behavior um, in his tweets and stuff like that. It just kind of sets up this beach ball for people to target. Um, but he's going to be, I mean, if he's, I've worked with him, actually, I worked with hmm. him back in 2017 on a movie in Cincinnati that I did. Okay. And he was very pleasant. Um, he was actually playing a cop and that was a, a contemporary movie in modern times. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, really it, he and Christian Slater actually on the set in the same scene, were cutting us up and just, we, we got a lot of things delayed because they were just giving you some, each other so much shit that they were, you know, getting us off track and it was just funny, but you know, I never got the impression that he was not there to work, not there to do the good job, not to do an honest day's work and was legitimately doing that. Now, I, I, I don't know there. You hear about like that, that show, the ABC show, the rookie is now not going to have any live guns on their sets and things like that. I don't know if that's an overreaction or not, because obviously these, these safety protocols can be put in place and followed, but there's, I don't know if there's a, a place for criminal charges. I think there could be because as far as I know, he was also listed as a producer on this film. Mm. Now that may just be a title that gives him more money and he has no day-to-day operational, you know, uh, decisions to make on, on things like that, or I don't know, but if he's going to take that title and be liable, that's kind of the question from that angle. That's the part that I would kind of mention in, in that comment uh, on your post. But um, ultimately too, from what I understand, this was a rehearsal that this happened during. Yeah. I don't know why in the world, especially at 68 years old, this man would pull the trigger on a rehearsal, <laughs> you know, unless you're doing, and we do, we do like fire rehearsals. We'll do, they'll yell out fire in the hole, you know, blank test or whatever, but that's done offset. It's not done with the camera framing and everything. That's all part of the scene. And quite honestly, that's probably why she was killed and the director was killed because normally nowadays we're off on the side. I actually run one of these places called Video Village where there's screens set up and they monitor what's being shot from a a separate section that's not right behind the camera. And if he's aiming right up towards the camera and she's looking over the shoulder and there's a tiny little monitor on the side of the cameras that the camera operator uses for the framing, if that's what they were standing there and checking, then that's how they got into the line of fire. Literally. Mm. Um, it should have never happened, but yeah, to me from everything I've read, this assistant director who I've read has had some, uh, some multiple complaints in the past. He worked on the crow. Yeah. Oh, and worked on the crow. It was a second unit though. Right. Yeah. He he wasn't, he wasn't, he he was no, not responsible, but not even the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. kind of grossly serendipitous, but like um, the, but that AD and whoever decided. Yeah, the ass- assistant director that handed the gun, um, having a little problem with Chris's internet. But yeah, the assistant director, um, let's see here, I'm reading in the Sarah Jones case where the assistant director was actually charged and was facing a potential sentence of 10 years in prison. And I believe actually got jail time 
um, on the movie Midnight Rider. Ms. Jones was working as a camera assistant. Um, I had to hire this armorer. Oh, hold on. We we lost your internet. So I was talking about the Sarah Jones case where the assistant director um, actually... So Sarah, Sarah Jones and other crew members, including Mr. Miller, who was also directing the film, were setting up shot, shots on the tracks when a train unexpectedly appeared, killing Ms. Jones and injuring several several others. Um, and so you you ended you ended up having a, an assistant director face jail time uh, in that case because he didn't make this right. the set safe enough. Um, so yeah, maybe this. I believe his name is Hill. Uh, I tried to find that article oh, real Paul, quick. But yeah, yeah, Hill was the assistant director and the armorer. Yeah, I mean, in my mind, like Alec Baldwin, it's sort of a stretch because he had absolutely no intent. To, yes. to kill this person. I don't think any of the other uh, three here involved in this chain of custody of this firearm had any intent, but you can go to jail and face charges for negligence, exactly. you know, in unsafe workplaces, and that's totally reasonable. If you, there, there has to be penalties for crimes where, you know, there are victims, you know, this is not a yeah. victimless crime. Obviously, a, a child and a husband are, are missing their loved one, and obviously you have the injury of the other director. Um, so yeah, I mean, I could, I could certainly see, but at the, at the end of the day, like I'm not going to rush to, to the day. Oh, Alec Baldwin killed someone, lock him up. Let's just take a bit, a beat. Let some investigations happen. There should be investigations and figure it out. I agree. So I agree. I mean, this, whether or not I'm saying charges, I'm not saying convictions necessarily, you know, there's, there's also like, what do you gain from it? You know, like that's the, that's the, and I mentioned that too. It's like, you know, these, um, these independent films, especially like they're, they create the company uh, out of nowhere, just from the financiers getting together and they create an LLC. Like it's called rust films, LLC. That's not Paramount, you know, that's <laughs> right. not Disney, you know, that's a, that's a group of financiers and producers getting together to bankroll a project. And they'll continue to do this kind of stuff. That's the yeah. thing that's unfortunate, you know, and, and other people will be in the sad thing is, is that they, a lot of times they won't learn from their mistakes. They won't learn from other things happening like Sarah Jones. Um, and they'll, they'll make a ridiculous, you know, um, comedy of errors that just keeps adding up. And then eventually something bad like this happens. Yeah. And I'm fortunate that it hasn't happened to me or anyone I know on sets that I've worked on, but I know lots of people like I moved to Atlanta very shortly after like three years after um, Sarah Jones was killed down here in Savannah and um, knew, I know several people that I work with and have worked with repetitively that knew her very well. So like, it's a small community, you know, and and it's just, we can all see ourselves um, facing that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, it's often, a, it's just an unfortunate reality of life. Like, if you remember the is. state fair collapse here in Indiana in 20... Yes. Was it 2014, maybe? Um, yeah, when the stage collapsed. Yeah, the stage collapsed mm-hmm. during a concert during the state fair here in Indiana, and several people were killed, and it was a tragedy that, you know, there was some negligence, uh, but it, yeah. it that accident changed. You know, we ran a booth in 2016, and you had to have all kinds of different insurances and checks, and it just it made it more secure for vendors for people attending the state fair. You know, there's yep. no there's no surefire way to, um, uh, you know, to 
to guarantee everybody's safety. That's just the reality that we're living in. You are not guaranteed to walk out your front door and return at the end of the day, no matter how many laws we pass. Um, but you know, people do need to face consequences sometimes for their choices and it does help make us all better. So Chris, thank you so much. I don't know if you have anything you want to promote, but, uh, if you do, please, you know, uh, uh, no, not really. I mean, I would, from a very selfish standpoint, I would say, I don't know where, where you and, and, you know, your networks and stuff like that fall on the whole vaccine mandate thing, Mm -hmm. but it's affecting me personally right now. Um, I'm actually a COVID survivor. I, I had it in January of this past year. And the, the sad thing about like this whole, it's insane, this whole union solidarity thing that, that the IATSE is pushing for all the film crews, they made an agreement with the producers to um, permit them if they choose to implement a vaccine mandate. Uh, and this was long, this was in July. So this was long before Biden's OSHA step around the law kind of thing came into play. And um, it's, I don't know how many people, at least half a dozen, I think, on my show were summarily just, you know, booted. Mm -hmm. And um, I could see a a bigger argument if you hadn't already had it, but it leaves people like me who've had it. And I actually went through the process of going to the doctor myself and monthly getting antibody tests Mm -hmm. saying, hey, I still have antibodies. Why can't I work and be considered vaccinated? Yeah. Um, And this... uh, this whole thing has become so political and so um, uh, monocultural that it, it's it's going to be a very interesting um, uh, well field to try to navigate. We've lost our minds with it. We've thrown every bit of common sense. It's delirious, you know. Like uh, <laughs> it, it's the film industry, Chris, <laughs> is is absolute ground zero for the Stockholm syndrome. Oh God, I I want you know. I remember seeing during the TV show taping people dressed up like astronauts, you know, and this was before I think there was even a shot available, but yeah, I mean, I've, I've seen it from the various projects that I work on, just the, the way that people have acted in the film industry or the, you know, the entertainment industry at large. It's, it's just, uh, there's, you know, even in my own, I'm going to do a show on it. You know, I just, I, you you should make a decision as to what you need to do with the vaccine. You should not listen yes. to a podcaster's medical advice on what to do with the vaccine. Um, but when it comes to mandates and government involvement, it, it's a no brainer. Like it's just you you Joe Biden doesn't get to use and draft every corporation uh, into service. Like that's just not how it works. So. Uh, well, I hope I hope your your job situation gets figured out soon. Uh, I'd love to say I hope that they come to their senses. Uh, but oh, that's not gonna that's happen. not going to happen. <laughs> um, so you'll have to just. I know I've been around long enough to know who I'm. <laughs> so. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate uh, you being here yeah. and giving us some insight. It was great. Thank you, Chris Ratledge. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Chris.